Welcome to the podcast of Medora Pentecostal Church. We are a growing community of believers committed to bringing hope and building lives. We pray today's message is a blessing to you. said because I don't want television training the young folks of today about what sex is all about. I don't want movies, the internet, school. I believe that parents have the responsibility to teach their children about it, to sit down and have that conversation with them on an appropriate age, at appropriate time, uh, depending on the level of that child and what they know. So I believe the family is responsible. Parents and grandparents are responsible to teach and to talk about this subject. Uh, I think it's very important to talk about the priceless purity that is important for a young person who is not married and even a person who is married to maintain purity in their life and in their heart. I believe it's the pastor's responsibility to bring forth what does the word of the Lord say? What does the Bible teach us about that? And I, I believe it's the teachers. And I want to thank Pastor Dylan for taking care of service last week, teaching. Amen. Did a great job. Heard some tremendous reports. Give him a great big hand. Thank you for pitch hitting for us. I believe the church is responsible. I believe the church is responsible by our actions, by our conversation, by our examples that, you know, our, our older couples ought to lead the way when it comes to living a life of purity. Amen. So we understand that a gentleman is rec uh, accountable for his purity in his life. Sexually, he's accountable for his purity in his life. A lady is accountable for her purity in her life. Parents must make their children's purity a priority, a discussion, something that we talk about it. Uh, we, need to, we need to do what we're doing tonight and talk about it. Every church member ought to be concerned about the young person, not to look down your nose at and say, well, they don't need to be doing that. They don't need to be <clears throat> acting like that. Well, show them. Talk to them positively. And I've said I've taught some of this before, but it's been quite a few years since I did, and I want to revisit again. How many know what, when you talk about standards and what a standard is? When, when you used to buy a car and you bought a car, it would have standard equipment. Standard equipment. That meant this is your power windows. That was standard equipment. You know, it just it was a base. If you wanted to go beyond standard, then you had to go to, to, to uh, add on different things. And so when we talk about standards... What we're saying is that what we teach from the pulpit is that we say this is the, the, the standard here at our church. And I believe that a pastor, a leadership of a church needs to have standards. Okay? May not be heaven and hell issue, but it, it needs to be, okay, this is what we think. This is what we say. Then the parents take the standard equipment and they go to the next level. You have the authority in your home to say, I know pastor says that y'all could do this, but I'm telling you, I'm setting the standard higher. Okay? I'm going to set the standard higher for you. 
And as a parent, as a husband, and as a mother, you have the responsibility to be the leaders of your family and say, that's just not going to happen in our home. We're not going to have that in our house. We're not going to watch that in our house. We're not going to allow that to come in. Why? Because you're there to guard their purity. They may not get it now, but years down the road, they're going to appreciate what you do because you go beyond the standard. Now, you go below the standard, you're going to have to deal with that as well. Amen. But don't leave the, the, the soul teaching of sex and maintaining purity up to me. It must be from you. It must be from you. Your child wants boundaries whether they act like it or not. They want boundaries. They may think that you're being unfair, irrational, and setting guidelines, but one thing you have over them is knowledge and experience. I know that when a child crosses that 13, 14-year-old line, all of a sudden they become experts. Am I telling you the truth today? I did. I became an expert. My dad didn't know nothing. My mama didn't know nothing. And then when I turned, you know, got married, then all of a sudden every year after that, my mom and dad got smarter and smarter as the gaze goes by. I want to tell parents, I want you to feel free. I want, you to, I want you to just have this license from the pulpit. Look at your child and say this to them, because I said so. Well, why? 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 Uh, because I said so. Because I said so. Oh, that's so mean. That's so harsh. Well, it sure, does, sure did squelch my style a little bit. Amen. I think I turned out all right. While it is good to explain in love, and I believe you should, while, while it is good to, to provide answers, and I believe you should, there ought to be also the opportunity in, in, that the kids need to know you're the parent. And if your teenager thinks that you're being unfair and overreacting, good. I hope I get some amens today. <clears throat> Because their safety and their priority is more important than them liking you. Thank you. Thank you. If a parent waits until a child is a teen to set boundaries, they've started 13 years too late. <clears throat> Amen. So I, I just wanted to lay the foundation. Now we're going to get into the Bible. Praise God. Hallelujah. Why don't you stand with me? I've already started in the teaching, but I want to go to the text today. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, and then we'll be going to verse 20 and read it through 24. <clears throat> and the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. It is not good that a man should be alone. I'll make and help me for him. Everything the Lord looked at, everything he created thus far, he said, it's good. It's good. The only thing in creation that he said it wasn't good is for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make a help meet for him. <clears throat> and Adam, verse 20, Adam gave names to all cattle, the fowl of the air, and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a help meet found for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a 
woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. They shall, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Everybody say marriage began here. <clears throat> marriage began here. Amen. The Lord bless you. You can be seated. The very first institution that God formed was family. And since he instituted family, created man, and formed woman out of man, he has the authority to define the rules for marriage. He, therefore, being creator, has final authority. God created the man and the woman to complete and complement one another. The woman completed the man, and the man the woman. We find that marriage is exclusive. Marriage. Now, I want to say from the get-go, this may get to our podcast. It may be, somebody may be watching this on YouTube today. Please know I'm coming from a biblical standpoint. I'm not preaching from the Washington Post, New York Times. I'm not preaching from Hollywood's point of view. This is, this is a bit, what I want to know today is that are we being biblical? This is what we believe the Bible to say. So he created man, so he defines marriage, and he defines sex within that context. Marriage is exclusive. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Marriage then equals one man, one woman. If you're waiting for anything else to be added to that, there's not. He made it one man, one woman. Marriage involves one man, one woman, and it's designed by God to be a lifelong monogamous relationship. They shall be one flesh. It is to be transformational. Marriage is to be transformational. That means that marriage means something bigger than just what it looks like on the surface. Sex is more than what it just looks like on the surface. It is transformational. We'll get deeper into that in just a few minutes. It is something wonderful and powerful for a man and a woman to come together under the protection of marriage. They become one flesh. Marriage, as you know, is not a contract. It is a covenant made by God. It is common in this promiscuous society for a man to have multiple partners. I recently heard about a person, an individual, a, a, a sports star that, that bragged about sleeping with a thousand different women. Our nation's health department states this, that when an individual has sex with another person, biologically and health-wise, this is not the Bible, this is the health department says this, when a person has sex with another person, they are having sex with every person with whom they had partnered with before. It's a proven medical fact. So 
this is where sexually tr transmitted diseases come in. This is where a lot of problems comes in health-wise because of that very fact. So the Lord said, a man is to leave father and mother, and he is to cleave to his wife. He is to leave. That word leave means to loosen, to create a new household. A man is to leave his father and mother. It doesn't say a woman is to leave uh, her father and mother, but rather a man. Why? Because it is about functional authority. It is about the beginning of a new household. And I know that, that, that what, I'm, what I'm going to say tonight may seem extremely traditional to some. It may seem far-fetched to others, but I want to tell you the reason that a lady takes a man's name in marriage is because of this scripture. Okay, let me say it again. The reason that a young lady takes a man's last name in scripture or, or, or in marriage is because of the scripture. He is to leave and then he is to cleave. Somebody say cleave, to cling, to stick together. It's more than glue, it's fusion. This word actually is where we get the word fusion. That like, like a, a piece of coal that's embedded in the hot ground over a period of time and with heat and pressure, that coal becomes a diamond. That's God's plan for marriage is that when you go through situations in life and there's pressures on you and problems happen in marriage, you're not going to get mad and everything's going to be peachy keen and you're never going to have an argument and you're never going to have a problem. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have pressures. But that pressure creates a diamond. That's fusion. God wants a gem coming out of your marriage. All right. And then the third, I'm talking about the prerequisites of marriage. Number one is to leave. Number two is to cleave. And number three is to become one. United in purpose, united in genuine intimacy. Jesus pulled the scripture together from Matthew when he said in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 4, he says, have you not read, referring to what we've already read, okay, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them and made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Just as our real identity is found in God, we talked about identity before the fall, if you remember a couple weeks ago, God's purpose for family is clearly seen before the fall. When God creates something, he creates it with purpose. He creates it with design. He creates it to be transformational. So marriage was meant to be transformational. It was meant to have a higher purpose than just simply kisses and hugs and sexual intercourse. He meant for marriage to be something that is sacred. There's a reason why we call it holy matrimony. Today, it seems like pleasure is the pursuit of people in their life. Pleasure. I want to I be happy. I want to feel good. And so if I, if, if, I, if I go do something and I feel good, then it must be good. If I do it and it feels good, then it must be good. Paul said that one of the signs of the last days is that men would be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. It seems that the mantra of today is pleasure, fun, and excitement at any cost. 
pleasure, excitement, fun at any cost. So they want to have the fun now, but they pay later. But God's plan is that you pay now and have the fun later. Mm -hmm. Purity today seems like an archaic and a term and abstinence seems like an impossibility and why wait? Amen. We have we often have to face the difficulty of the problem of pain and try to explain the problem of pain. But I'm convinced the problem of pleasure is much more difficult to deal with than the problem of pain. We want limits when it comes to pain. I do. We want limits when it comes to pain. We want pleasure without limits. Let me say that again. We want pain that has limits, but pleasure without limits. Pleasure without limits leads to unlimited regret. Hear me tonight. Pleasure without limits will lead to unlimited regret. The evidence is clear. Unbridled sensuality leads to unspeakable sorrow. Solomon gave us the picture of this. I mean, if anybody knew about relationship as far as multiple, and if anybody ought to be able to say, well, I had so many partners, I should be very happy. He was not happy. 700 wives? Wisest man in the world, one very smart. Is that what you said, Brother Gene? Is that what he said? All right, make sure we got that on record. The whole book of Ecclesiastes is about the wisest man who wasn't very smart realizing what life was really all about. He said, I said to my heart, come now. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. He said of laughter, it is mad and a pleasure. What use is it? Let's, let's read a passage from the King James in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 10. Ecclesiastes 2 and 10. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. Whatever I saw, whatever I wanted, I went after. That's what Solomon's saying, okay? Whether, he said, I, I withheld not my heart from in any joy. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and all the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, listen to what he says, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. Here's a man who had it all, done it all, saw it all, experienced it all, and he said, I withheld no pleasure from me. Whatever I wanted to do, I did. Whatever I wanted to watch, I watched. Wherever I wanted to go, I went. Whoever I wanted to do it with, I did it with. But then he said, yet under the sun, it was all vexation and vanity. Vexation of spirit. How, how do we explain this? How do we explain this? That there's nothing to be gained under the sun. 
What is Solomon talking about? Is this emptiness that all the pleasure pleasure produces is emptiness? Is that what it is about? I have everything. I've done everything. And yet it's so sad and morbid and gloom. Amen. But the key to life here is found in the statement, nothing was gained under the sun. What is Solomon saying? He's saying, when there is no transcendent perspective, when everything is lived out for the moment, when there is no greater purpose beyond the pleasure, when everything is lived for under the sun, when there is no voice of God, when there is no transcendent purpose, no divine function, no superior sacredness, no preeminent aim, no cohesive function, then nothing is gained. All pleasure is empty. This is why a couple can go sleep together and then when they're done, feel such shame and such guilt. Oh, this was fun. But then shame comes in. They may know nothing about what the Bible says, but shame comes in. Why? Because there is no transcendent purpose beyond that moment. There's no transcendent purpose beyond that moment. There is a lie that hell has perpetrated upon the masses, and that is sexual gratification is nothing more than a biological act. It's nothing more than a bodily function designed for personal pleasure and amusement. You see, our world gets all confused. Our world is very confused right now because they, 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 they can't have it both ways. On one, on one hand, sex is open to just being a bodily function. And on the other hand, we're going to rise up and have a Me Too movement that says, you, can't, you men can't take advantage of us. Well, if it's just a bodily function, what's wrong with that? Think about it. If it's just a bodily function and you're just going through the course and you're just being like, like Solomon said, I'm just doing it for the moment, there's no transcendent reality, then, then what's, why? But you see where there is limits and where there's governing and when there's, when there's walls and when there is the reality that sex was designed for something more than just a bodily function, it has a transcendent purpose. It has a purpose beyond just the pleasure or moment or even beyond childbirth. It has a transcendent purpose that God made Adam and Eve and he said, I want you to understand this, that you can be fulfilled in your life. One of my favorite authors is Rabbi Shmuley Botich, who states, the instant availability of sex has undermined both these key marital ingredients. Immediate sexual gratification is the destroyer of passion. Excitement. While sex with many partners and exposure to endless, explicit sexual images is the destroyer of intimacy. Immediate gratification is the destroyer of passion. And the destroyer of intimacy is found in endless sexual images. Today, sex is just a bodily function that just someone I'm servicing my 
my baser needs. Rather than a committed act reserved for marriage, it is now uh, 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 just now looked at as, as pleasure without commitment, sensuality without any strings attached. The Word of God teaches us the clarity that sex is sacred. Please hear me tonight. Sex is sacred. God clearly states that sex is exclusive and it, it is for the act of marriage within the covenant of marriage and it is sacred. Put up Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. Hebrews 13 and 4. Marriage is honorable in all. Marriage is honorable in all. And the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. The Amplified Version reads of this verse, Let marriage be held in honor, esteemed worthy, precious, a great price, and especially dear in all things. And thus let the marriage bed be undefiled, kept, amen, kept uh, in a state of honor, for God will judge and punish the unchaste, all guilty of sexual vice and adulterous. Marriage is to be honorable in all. Amen. This word honorable here means make something precious, make something that is highly regarded. Amen. I, I, I was raised in a home with, a, with, a, with, with parents that loved each other, but they weren't real touchy-feely. I, I, they weren't one walk around and saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. They were just not like that. But they stayed married to each other till they died. Do you know they met and three months later were married and a few weeks later my dad was over in World War II? Yet they stayed married for over 60 years. What, what is it? I believe that something clicked inside of them somewhere. Something clicked inside of them without marriage counseling, without pre-marital counseling, with, with going raising five boys and still staying married. Holy Ghost, help me, Jesus. How did they do that? Amen. I, I believe, and I come to this realization, is that they were committed to the institution of marriage as much as they were committed to each other. We said we do, and we're going to do. Come, come whatever, we're going to do. We're going to stay together. I don't care what happens, what comes my way. If you leaving, honey, I'm going with you. Marriage ought to be esteemed. It ought to be valued. Now today it's just cheap and just, you know, hook up like buying a, buying a used car. I'm going to stay with her until she begins to wrinkle. Until the paint starts, you know, fading on her. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay with her and then I'll go get me a new model. Marriage is honorable in all. If you're going to be in a marriage... And now I realize some people may never marry and God has a plan for your life and God has a way of blessing you in such a great and wonderful way. Amen. And that is tremendous. But for the sake of this lesson tonight, I want to talk about how that if, if you're going to be married and you're going to get married, then why don't you enter into it with the concept that this is honorable. I am marrying you for a transcendent purpose, not just so we can sleep together, not just so we can have kids, not just so we can walk around and put it on Facebook. Woohoo, look at us. No, but I'm doing it because there's a transcendent reason for us being here. 
Marriage is honorable. Honorable. Esteemed. Valued. Of a great worth. Costly. And then he said, and the bed, the marriage bed, undefiled. Okay, let me be that, just put that in modern vernacular so everybody, especially all you kids will understand this, is that everything in marriage that is under the pretense and the context of a loving relationship is honorable in all. And the bed, the intimacy, the act of, of, of becoming one is also undefiled. Somebody say undefiled. That this 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 when I began to study and dig dig into this word, it began to man blow my mind. The word undefiled here means free from that by which the nature of the thing is deformed and debased. Let me say it again. The marriage bed is undefiled. It's free from that by which the nature of a thing is deformed and debased. But then he flips over and he says, whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. What is he saying? He's saying there are things that defile the marriage bed. That which is sacred can become stained. The sacredness of sex in marriage can become stained when a spouse commits adultery or in the word here, whoredoms. Whoredoms, it's a, that's an interesting word that we don't often hear. But let me just tell you what it means. It means fornication or fornicate or that, that a person commits adultery or fornication in a marriage causes the marriage bed to become stained. The word fornication here or fornicator is from a Greek word, pornos. Pornos. When I say pornos, what do, what do you think? Pornography. That's exactly where the word comes from. Pornos. Pornos. It means one who is sexually immoral or who commits sexual immorality. Pornos originally meant a male prostitute but came to be used in the universal meaning of fornicator or one who engages in sexual immorality, whether man or woman. A pornos in secular Greece was a person who prostituted themselves for gain. It is where we get the word in English, pornography. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 16, Paul uses this word to describe Esau when he talks about Esau being a fornicator and a profane person. Amen. Here's what Vine's dictionary, uh, uh, Greek dictionary says about this word in that particular text. Hebrews 12 and 16. The word pornos, fornicator, is not to be limited to the idea of spiritual fornication. It includes the actual sin and all such sensual and lustful practices. Esau's profanity consisted not merely in his satisfying his immediate desires and abandoning his birthright, but in treating the holy privilege of the patriarchal family, the priesthood, and the title to the land and to the ancestral ship of the Messiah. 
Let that sink in just for a minute. So all of a sudden, being the patriarch of his family, having the right to the blessing, having the right to the family lineage, and having the right to have your name in the line of Christ. He forfeited that because he could not contain his desire. He could not control his passion. Now tell me if that, that messed up his entire world. That in a moment, he could not control himself. And so the writer of, of Hebrews, whether it's Paul or not, I do not know. But the writer of Hebrews says that Esau lost the privilege of being listed in the lineage of Messiah because he valued the gratification of his flesh over the right to lead his family. I want to tell you, when you go down one road... There's going to be consequences. You may choose to forfeit your purity on, on a moment of, of weakness or a moment of fleshly desire, but you cannot choose the outcome from that. Uh, amen. I believe today that we need to value our relationship to the future. What's your future going to I don't know. I want to live in this moment. I'm going to live in this moment. I'm going to do what I want to do in this moment because it makes me happy. It makes me satisfied. You don't know what you may be forfeiting for your future. It's important to hear me tonight. <coughs> I come across this, and I'm just going to read it. I'm going to throw it out there and let you get mad at John Piper. Okay, John Piper points out this sacred picture in an article that he wrote online. He said, God created us in his image, male and female, with the personhood and the sexual passions so that when he comes to us in this world, when God comes to us in this world, there would be these powerful words and images to describe the promises and the pleasures of our covenant relationship through Christ. He said, God made us powerfully sexual so that he would be more deeply knowable, and I insert understandable. He goes on. We were given the power to know each other sexually so that we might have some hint of what it is like to know Christ supremely. Therefore, listen to this, he says, all misuses of sexuality, adultery, fornication, illicit fantasies, masturbation, pornography, homosexual behavior, rape, sexual child abuse, bestiality, exhibitionism, and so on, distorts the true knowledge of God. God means for human, he says, sexual life to be an indicator and an example of our relationship with him. Unquote. I'm going to let you just think about that a little bit. But doesn't the Bible talk about us knowing him intimately, knowing him? Don't let your baser thoughts 
take this and run in the wrong direction. But God wanted to show us, because we're human and not divine, to understand the depth of the intimacy that we have with him. Amen. It is depicted, he said, in Christ and his bride. In Christ and the one that he gave himself for, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I believe that it is important that we value a sexual uh, mentality to the point that it is sacred to us. It's sacred to us. All right? But I want to say when we talk about purity tonight, when we're talking about purity, I'm not just talking to the unmarried. I'm also talking to the married. You and I need purity in our marriage as much as anyone needs it outside of marriage. All right? Today's youth faces an insidious foe when it comes to governing personal purity. The enemy is out for your purity. You young folks, listen to me. The enemy is out for your purity to grab your mind with lies and tell you sex is just a game. We have gone very far from spin the bottle. You kids probably don't even know what that is. Good, good. Don't know what other stories are. We need to be careful of fads and 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 texting and showing pictures of ourselves. And we need to be very very careful what we put on our social media. You don't know what predator is out there. You can't trust every 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 guy that has a, a website or has a or even he calls himself apostolic. Amen. You, you need to be careful of, of some some lady out there that's gonna send you a picture, young man, on your Instagram page and, and say, Here, do I look pretty? Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. All right. I want to talk to you what the Bible says about sex outside of marriage. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 18. What's the first two words? Say it loud. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth, and this is Bible now, okay? We're coming from a biblical standpoint. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. So what is he distinguishing here? There are certain things that you can do that don't impact you in your body, but sexual sins do. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. Amen. Society wants to tone down the shame associated with words like fornication or adultery or some of those words like lasciviousness and wantonness that come from the King James. So, so now we're going to speak of being... Someone who is sexually active, someone who is co- cohabitating, or somebody that's just having an affair, but the Bible calls it sin. The Bible calls it sin. The Christians at Corinth face some of the same challenges that you and I face. Corinth was a society that was sold on sex. 
The city was known for its immorality. The temple of Venus hosted a thousand priestesses dedicated to prostitution in the name of religion who would stand in their painted bodies and their scantily clad clothes and wave men into the temple to have relationship with these women. Some Christians had been quite immoral prior to their conversion, and so Paul is now saying to all of them, married, unmarried, alike, flee fornication, run from it. Today we face a world where sensuality is a pervasive plague. Easy access to porn and filthy videos. Acts that used to be a shame are now lifted up and admired and, and normalized. The warning goes out, flee fornication. Flee fornication. Again, the word in this particular instant is related to the same word we used a while ago, and it is pornania. It means harlotry sexual immorality, including adultery and incest and all manners of sexual Im immorality. I want to tell you today, God says, run from it. You don't know what's on the other side of that. You don't know what it's going to do to you. You don't know how it's going to, how it's going to hurt you. I've had the honor of pastoring since 1991. Pastored at four churches. I wish I could, I wish I could tell you of the, of the times. I've had young men and young couples that come to talk to Sister Gill and I about our lives in shambles. I have had people tell me stuff that I've tried my best to wash my brain out of. Lives in shambles because of choices that they made. It looked like for a moment. No wonder Paul says and screams, flee fornication. Flee it. Run from it. Don't court it. Don't hug it. Don't get close to it. Don't just do a little bit of it. Don't just look at a little bit of it. Run from it. Run, 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 run. It will take you into a place of, of such despondency and despair and make you know, oh, I'm disobedient. Therefore, I can't be used from God. And, and it will make a shame come upon you. I want to tell you today, I'm, I'm, I'm putting this out there. We're going to wind up with knowing there's victory for you, that there is a way to regain your purity with God in this place. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6 and 13, meats for the belly and belly for the meats, but God shall destroy both of them and it. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. The law of food is you got to have it. How many know you got to have food to live? Uh, praise the Lord. What's for supper? Food is eaten, digested, and then discharged. The body is designed for a lifetime of food. There is another law that is just as real and related. If the body was not designed to take in fornication and somehow digest it. But it was in the guise of marriage and in the bonds of marriage designed to be within that exclusive so that there is nothing but just simply joy and, and, and enjoyment and knowing that it transcends just the moment of that pleasure. Hallelujah. 
But I want, I want to show you what Paul says about how, how you need to be careful and why he says flee it. In, in 1 Corinthians 6 and 15, he says, Know ye not that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of harlot? God forbid. Do you realize that sexual uh, uh, relationships even impact the body of Christ? You're not going to do it exclusively, but it rather shows us that we need to be careful for the sake of the entire body of Christ. It matters what you do with your body because it impacts the body of Christ. When it comes to sexual relationship, the body is designed for one partner only. Amen. The body of Christ and the body of a fornicator are in likewise incompatible by design. Sex between a man and a woman was make, will make them one. This is a glorious and wonderful picture that is within the bounds of marriage. But when a person has sex with an individual who is out from the covering of marriage, all of a sudden you're becoming one with something that's tainted and defiled that's why paul says flee flee from it run from it run from it is anybody praying for me right now i need you praying for me there is a spirit that doesn't want me to teach this tonight. There is a spirit that the enemy wants this to be just swept under the rug. Let's make, let's, don't make it a big deal. I'm here to say God made it a big deal. Why can't we make it a big deal? Isn't it amazing and shocking today that one of the biggest battles is raging over the definition of marriage? But not only the definition of marriage, but the definition of sex. Just what is sex? Hell knows that if it can pollute and water down the meaning of sex, that it can pollute and water down the sacredness of sex. American teens are finding a new way to avoid intimate sexual behavior by saying it's not sex. According to the results of a study, 20% of 14-year-olds have engaged in oral sex while 14% have engaged in sexual intercourse. 20% oral sex, 14% in sexual intercourse at the age of 14. According to the University of California, San Francisco re researcher Bonnie Flesher stated a growing number of teens don't regard oral sex as sex. She writes, quote, oral sex is less of a threat to their values and beliefs and more of their peers will engage in this activity, unquote. But yet this is one of the most damnable lies that has slithered out of the sewers of hell into homes. I believe it is time that we take a stand against this lie and this notion that says oral sex is not sex. The Bible calls it lasciviousness 
2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 21, and lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you and that I shall bewail many which have sinned already and have not repented and have not changed their mind of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. The word lasciviousness means unbridled lust, excess, wantonness, outrageous, shameless sensuality it speaks of a shameless act of you know it's just not it's really just not sex complete word dictionary defines this word as lewdness debauchery sexual act excess absence of restraint insatiable desire for pleasure the world looks at things like oral sex masturbation and pornography as not being sex. You may feel that it doesn't. I believe the Bible clearly states that those things fall under the the word fornication, but if not, the word lasciviousness hits them. And Paul said this is sin that you have not repented of and you need to get right with God. You will find that Barclay says that Plato described this Greek word as imprudence and another Greek writer as preparedness for every pleasure. Basil said it is a disposition of the soul incapable of bearing pain of discipline, incapable of bearing the pain of discipline. I just can't control myself. I can't just, I just can't help myself. Therefore, this is not sex. It's just oral sex. It's just masturbation. It's just pornography. Amen. And in doing so, we have slid into a concept that has so seared the conscience of people. And now when they get to the point, oh, now I want, I want a, I want, I want a sexual experience in marriage that transcends. Amen. But then they have to go through the reprogramming and the re-understanding and the purification again to know what God has for them. I stand and warn you. I stand and preach to you today. These are things that we must be aware of because the devil is lying through his teeth. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, he uses the word pernicious. Same word. Pernicious ways. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 3. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excessive wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. One child psychologist lists numerous reasons that bring factors of why oral sex has become so acceptable. Kids are maturing a whole lot earlier than before, especially girls. Innocence is lost today at a quicker age. Wake up. Wake up. Be aware of it. Dare I say the Clinton-Lewinsky scandal, kids that grew up with that knew that a former president said that oral sex wasn't sex. And if the president did it, surely I can do it. The media refers to all sex as having commonplace. As a result, public awareness has increased and and now it's said to be safer only to realize that sexual transmitted disease have drastically risen 
because of oral sex. Instant gratification is now the aim. Parents, be clear with your children. Be clear with your children when you begin to talk about these kinds of things. Be clear with them. If, 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 if you have to, if you have to, be graphic with them. Can I get an amen? Because this world is graphic with them. But the world is painting a picture that this doesn't matter, and you go ahead and do it, and nothing will happen, and they don't see because they have yet to experience the consequences of such actions. When we say abstain from fornication, we're not just talking about sexual intercourse. We're talking about these other activities as well. Paul said, he said, I write to you, abstain from fornication, Acts 15 and 20. He said in Acts 15 and 29, abstain from fornication from which we keep ourselves or keep yourselves, ye shall do well. Amen. Abstain. Jesus taught, listen to this, Jesus taught that adultery began in the mind before it went to the sexual organ. So does other sexual expressions, self-pleasing oneself, happens in the mind before it ever gets to the loins. Set up some boundaries. Set up some boundaries. Paul said in Ephesians 5 and 3, let fornication not be named once among you. Let's set up some boundaries. Somebody say amen. Colossians 3 and 5, he said mortify, kill, therefore your members which are upon the earth. And he talks about fornication, uncleanness. Amen. I've heard you say, pastor, you don't understand. We're in love. So, is this the God-designed kind of love? We're in love. Well, did God start this in your life? If he is not the center of your relationship when you're dating, he will not be the center of your relationship when you get married. Hear me today. If he's not the center of your relationship when you get married, then he will not be the center of your relationship. Amen. Uh, when you're dating, when you get married, it will not be. <clears throat> Other scriptures, you can look up Romans 13, 12 through 14. Check it out. I'm going to pass by some of this. Purity is a priceless treasure. Purity is more than virginity. It is deeper and more encompassing than not just having sex. It is a condition of the heart. And since it is a condition of a heart, you may have lost your virginity, you may have lost your purity, but you can regain it by the power of God's grace and God's mercy and then live from that point on in a purified state. The principle applies to men and to women. Your personal purity is more than worth more than a one-night stand and a cheap moment in the back seat of a car or with a, a, a pornographic website. Your purity is much more precious than that. God's got a purpose for you that transcends where you are. And if you really want to enjoy life, I want to warn you now, pay now, enjoy later. The world says enjoy now, but you will pay later. Have discipline now, then you will enjoy the fruits of that discipline later. Purity is vital before and after marriage. If one is messed up before marriage, they're going to have to work to make sure that they don't mess up in their marriage. Can a person regain their purity? Yes, yes, yes. Somebody say yes, yes, yes. The woman caught in the act of adultery. Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. 
go and no more. Go and sin no more. Amen. While you will never be able to regain your innocence, you can regain your pure heart. Somebody say, thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. You got a problem with the pornography? You, ne- you cannot regain. You're going to always have to deal with those images that come in your mind, but you can stop now and never go back again. Come on, others have done it. Others have stood the test. Others have stood up and said, you know what? No, no, I'm not having that in my life. Amen. I love what God's given to me. (laughs) You can be stronger and wiser than you were before by regaining your purity. You will be able to resist. Amen. If one has, been met, one has messed up in defiling their marriage bed, you've defiled your marriage bed, you may, have all, you may have hurt your marriage, and you may not even salvage that marriage. But you can still be pure and clean before God and start from there. Start from there. Start from there. Mm. Start from there. Start from there. Some people need to have this one and done mentality that you mess up one time, I'm shooting you. Just going to shoot you. Let's end this right now. What? That's okay, sweetie. That's all right. You go ahead and sleep with her. That's okay. I, I want you back. I'm not saying God can't heal marriages, but I want to tell you what. When the marriage bed is defiled, somebody needs to get it. Uh, a Holy Ghost anointed again. Amen. How about a person who has suffered abuse or rape? A person who has been viciously attacked or abused has lost something of a great value. Frankly, they have been cheated and robbed. But yet they can still be clean in the eyes of Jesus because of the blood of the Lamb. Somebody say, thank the Lord. A damaged spirit can be restored. A broken life can experience God's grace and his powerful healing. Start now. Learn to walk in. I'm a child of God, and I am clean because he says I'm clean, not because of the hurt that was done to me or perpetrated on me, but because he says I'm clean. Somebody say hallelujah. All right. I want to talk to you about planning to be pure. you got to have a plan. All right. All, all of you teenagers in the dating age, I want you to listen to me. Those of you that are not, you can just uh, listen as well. Don't start scrolling Facebook. Don't start doing your... I'm not going to get on that. That's another lesson. Plan to be pure. It is vital that a parent or a grandparent model purity in their own life so they can tell their children, this is what you ought to be doing. If you've made a mistake, don't be ashamed to tell them, you don't have to tell them all details, but say, you know what, I know where you're going, and, and I, I, I want to help you. I want to help you. Help your child plan to be pure. Don't let them see you watching movies that you shouldn't be watching, and they know you shouldn't be watching. Worse yet, don't drag them in to watch with you. 
Watch what kind of jokes you laugh at. Help your child value purity. I want to talk to you about four ways to govern your personal purity. Four ways to govern your personal purity. It's found in, in Proverbs chapter 4, 23 through 27. I'm not going to read all of them, but I want to show you from this passage of Scripture four ways to govern your personal purity. Number one, be cautious. Somebody say be cautious. The writer of, of Proverbs says, keep thy heart with all diligence. Be cautious. Genuine fulfillment comes from a cautious, pure heart. Guard it with diligence. Protect what goes into your heart. Be careful what you search on YouTube and, and, and these kind of other places. It's so close to you. Oh, God, guard me. Protect me. Amen. God, you made blind eyes to see. Make seeing eyes blind. Come on. Determine right from wrong before you begin dating. Don't wait to decide your standard in the car with that feller or that girl. Determine right and wrong before you begin dating. Keep simple expressions special by drawing boundaries. Well, we've held hands for five years. Good for you. You're not married. Keep them simple and special. Keep them simple and special. Because if not, it becomes a prelude to heavier things. So the first one is be cautious. The second one is be careful. Be careful. The writer says, ponder thy feet. The wisdom of Proverbs says, ponder thy feet. Guard against false emotions. Watch your hormones. You got them. You have them. Amen. Watch for false love, infatuation. His blue eyes says, come hither, baby. Her blonde hair. Watch out for infatuations. It can lead you down the wrong road. Be careful. Be careful with your fantasies. Be careful how deep you let your fantasies grow. Don't let your fantasies go outside of where you are in your relationship. Guard what comes into your senses. Be careful what you read, what you watch, what you listen to. Guard your conversation one with another. Pace your passions. This is being careful. Don't feed your fantasies. Remember whose property you are touching. <laughs> Years ago, there was a preacher that was preaching in a church, and there was this couple, and they were all hugged up smooching on each other in the middle of the church. They're trying to have church, and they're all smooched up. And, and that preacher just walked over to him and says, Son, are you married to this girl? No. Do you plan on marrying this girl? No. Then you're kissing on another man's wife. <laughs> know whose property it is. This, this, you belong to the Lord right now. Amen. You young girls, a guy starts touching on you, you have my permission as your pastor to give him a high five across his face. Let him know and leave the fingerprints across his face and say, I belong to God, not to you. Until you got a ring on my finger and a marriage license sign, you don't own me. You don't have me. I'm not yours. Well, help me, Jesus. I got to get done with this, y'all. Be careful. Number three, be consistent. The brighter of Proverbs in this passage says, turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Stick to your commitment to be pure. 
Don't compromise your values. Don't compromise your convictions, regardless of how sweet he talks or, or how sweet she talks or how handsome he is or how beautiful she is. Avoid a man breaking your consistency and convictions. Avoid places and situations that put you in the path of temptation. Pre-plan your date. I don't know about you, but I don't think kids should date one-on-one until they're 35. At least 18. Well, everybody else is doing it. Well, look what they get into, too. All right, I got I to gotta quit. Be consistent. Be, number four, be courageous. The writer says, remove thy foot from evil. Refuse to give in to peer pressure of any kind. Well, come on, honey, we can do this. Remove yourself from that. Well, nobody else will love me. Yes, they will. Yes, they will. Somebody will love you. My father, I read this. I went through some of his writings in studying for this lesson, and my father said this. A date without Jesus is like a fire hose under pressure without anyone holding it. I like that. My brother Van used to say that this is the reasons, three reasons for dating, engagement, and marriage. He said it like this. Dating is to see if you are spiritually compatible. Engagement is to explore if you are emotionally compatible. And marriage is where you learn physical compatibility. We flip it around. In dating, we want to learn physical compatibility. And then all of a sudden, everything goes haywire. But we find that the Bible teaches us that this is a process when you come to marriage. All right, parents, take action. Talk to your children about sex. If you don't, somebody else will. Be positive before them. Not all children are, are on the same level. There's no blanket method. There's no blanket age. But you've got to be willing to just get into their life, ask questions. Uh, amen. Know your child's personality and vulnerabilities. Uh, ask them uh, 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 questions. Hallelujah. I want to tell you what. I realize it's a little different for girls and boys. But I, I, I wanted them boys to know I don't have a problem going back to prison. got a gunshot, you know, or it'd be like David, he'll bring in a, uh, you know, when Timothy showed up at, at our house for the very first time, David got a Nerf gun and went after him with a Nerf gun. Did you know that? I believe you'll be very, very careful. Parents, start with prayer about your kids. Set a, set an age. Hey, y'all are, you're not dating until this age. This is the age. Start with group dating. Are they in church? Are they in church? Are they in church? Do they know the Lord? I think it's good to have, I'm just going to share this. This is just some ideas that I feel. I think you ought to have a curfew and stick with it. It's for their protection, not their punishment. Know where your teenager is. Know what they're doing. Teenager, don't you get 
bugged out because they say, I want to know where you are, what you're doing. Because if you read the paper, there is some really, really evil things happening in our world. And they're responsible for you. Teach your children how far is too far. Teach your children what's on limits and off limits. I'm going to tell you just a good thing. Whitney said this years ago, and I thought it was an awesome idea, and I, I like it, is that wherever her clothes was, was off limits. Don't touch from sleeve to sleeve, from neckline to hemline. That's, that's good preaching right there. Amen. I believe we need to make a covenant. Young men, your purity is your responsibility. Guard it. Amen. Guard the reputation of the girl you're dating because it will matter if she becomes your wife or she doesn't. If she becomes somebody else's, why don't you just go ahead and get your hands off. Don't date just for, for just the sake of just being with somebody. If you can do that, do it in a, great, a group that's wonderful. But if you're going to look at someone, are they marriage material? If they're not, get away from them. This is my standard. Now you can go whatever you want to further, but please understand that. Watch how you treat a young lady, young man. How you act says a lot about who you are. Be a gentleman at all times. You are known by the company you keep. If you hang out with loosey-goosey girls, you're going to be known by that. God would never approve of a relationship that would cause you to grow cold in him or miss church or become less, less spiritual. Girls, your purity is your responsibility. Guard it. Amen. Abstinence is not a negotiation between you and your date. A guy who says, if you love me, is a loser. You'll have sex with me. If you love me, he's a loser. Run. How you dress says a lot about who you are. How you dress says a lot about who you are and what kind of guy you're looking for. Our body language, your body language, young lady, says a lot about who you are and what you want. You better be careful about that. Know where the touching lines are drawn. Amen. Dating without rules is like playing Russian roulette. Somebody's going to get hurt. Stand with me, please. I'm not, I'm not finished, but I'm going to quit. In 2010, I got this from WebMD. Not a Christian site, but WebMD. They did a survey. And in this survey, it's called The Benefits in Delaying Sex Until Marriage. They said that a study of over 2,000 marriages, which appears in the Journal of Family Psychology, state that couples who waited until marriage rated their sexual experience in life 22% higher than those who had sex before marriage. If the world can understand there's value in waiting, the church ought to be more inclined to say, here's the value of marriage because it transcends. Sex is not meant to be a biological function only. It is meant to be a transcendent moment. It is meant to be blessed by God. Yes, designed to have children. Yes, designed to have children. Yes, to procreate. Yes, yes for intimacy. But it is also an understanding of the glory of God in relationship. You can't replace that anywhere. 
I want to end with the scripture tonight. Romans 12. Verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I've watched young ladies and young men who got involved with an individual that brought them down so low and destroyed every ounce of self-confidence and destroyed every, every part of them. Well, I'm going to tell you what. There's a way to rise up above that, and that is present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto, unto God, which is your reasonable service, and then be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Can you lift your voices right now and say, Oh God, keep my mind pure. Let my mind be pure. Amen. If you're married today, why don't you say, God, let my mind be pure. If you're single and a single adult, why don't you say the same thing? Hallelujah. My, my life is designed to glorify God. I glorify you. I refuse to listen to what the world says, that if you're not doing this and you don't have that, then you don't matter. I want to say today I matter because God says, whose I am, what I am. Hallelujah. My life is not predicated on a moment of ecstasy or gratification that is gone and then shame comes in. My life is predicated on being a child of God. I'm glory in his name. I thank you, Lord. I glory in your name. I give you praise today. I give you praise today. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you for joining us today. We pray you have been encouraged. If you would like more information about Medora Pentecostal Church, you can check out our website at www.medorachurch.com. Oh